tell our couples years ago, you always know uh, the man, you know, the man is supposed to make the coffee in the house um, because the Bible is, there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. And so uh, that's just kind of a thought there, ladies. You can take that home and say, hey, pastor said that's what the Bible says. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I'm just thankful to be healthy today. I'm thankful to be alive. I'm thankful to be saved. And I'm thankful that we have a great God. And uh, he's great all the time, by the way. And he's loving us all the time. And I praise the Lord for that. And uh, if you don't have the word of God, there's a Bible right there in front of you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. And if you're not familiar with the word of God, it's in the, probably in the back fifth or sixth of the Bible. Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, first and second, third John. If you get to one of those, you need to go back to the left. If you find yourself somewhere in the epistles and Colossians, Ephesians, you need to turn right a little bit. Ephes- I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. And I want to read this morning and then have a word of prayer and, uh, and then ask the Lord to help us. We're going to talk, we're going to continue our summer, summer prophecy series. And as I said at the beginning of this, you know, I, I didn't do this series to try to attract, attract a crowd or try to get people here. Um, we could talk about prophecy and the Lord's return and all the details of it as much as we would like to. But if it doesn't help us today, what good is it? The book of Revelation promises actually a blessing to those that read the book of Revelation. It's the only book like that in the Bible. However, if I read the book just for knowledge and information and details, knowledge puffeth up. I could get to the point where I go, oh yeah, I get it. This is probably when it's going to happen. This is going to happen and I have all this knowledge. But why does God give it to us? And that's where the series has really kind of been. And so this morning we're going to read this passage of scripture that has a phrase in it that I want to capture and try to ask the Lord to help us with it. Hebrews 10, notice if you will, down in verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. I want you to notice that phrase again. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we want to say thank you for your love. We thank you so much that you loved us, that you sent your own son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And we're so grateful for that precious, sinless shed blood. We thank you for our salvation today. And we come before your presence only because of that blood of Christ. Lord, we want to come to say thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, just say thank you for all that you desire to do through us. God, that's why we gather together today as saints, is to learn the will of God. In fact, this passage talks about that. And Lord, we want to do right. And we want to help people. We want to love people like you love them. We want to serve them like you would. We want to be a blessing because you're a blessing to us. God, all that we are, what we say, we live, we move, we have our being in Christ. And so we confess today that we cannot do anything pleasing to God in our flesh, and we need your help. Lord, we're so grateful that you said that we could come boldly under your throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy 
and we would, could obtain grace to help in our time of need. There's no doubt in my mind there are people in here this morning that have a need. They have a burden. And I pray that you would help them with that. Minister to their heart. I pray that you'd relieve them. In fact, I pray that they would just lay that care down at your feet because you care for them so much and bless them. I pray that you'd watch over us today. I ask, Lord, that you'd help me to be filled with your spirit. And I would ask that by that spirit, you would help me to get out of your way so that you could use me for your glory. I allow my, I, I submit myself to you and I, I pray that you would please use me as your vessel. I pray I'd be a mouthpiece. And God, that you would help us to have understanding of your word today. And I pray that you would speak to all of us individually. I pray that as you speak, that we would listen. And then, Father, I pray as we leave here, that you would give us the courage and the faith and wisdom to carry out your will on this earth, just like it's done in heaven. And I pray that you would be glorified and pleased in all of it. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. We live, I don't know if you've noticed it, but we live in a discouraging world. It's awful. Everywhere you look, if you turn on the news on a regular basis, it's all discouraging. We're discouraged by what's being done, by what isn't being done. We're discouraged by what's happening and what isn't happening. If we're not careful, if we aren't careful to find encouragement in the Lord, and if we're not careful that we're encouraging one another as believers, we will be unable to encourage those that are lost. We'll be unable to help them to be saved, and very soon we'll find ourselves out of the race. The audience to whom this book is written has been through it, and through it badly. Um, and they're in need of encouragement. Um, they were trying to live for the Lord, and because of their faith, they had been persecuted, they had been reproached, they have been afflicted, and had lost their earthly possessions, and they were tempted to give up. Look what the Bible says back, at, as we read it earlier, it says, but call in verse 32, to remembrance the former days, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. You became, the Bible says in verse 33, a gazing stock, uh, both by reproaches and afflictions. And, and it goes on that they were in, uh, that they had compassion in their bonds. And it says in verse 35, cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Why? Because there's a reward. Now, if we knew that some people were in this situation and who were spiritually discouraged. If you knew someone like that, if you knew somebody that was battling discouragement or going through a difficult time, how would you or I encourage them? How would you do it? Some might want to send them a gift card and a note. Hey, I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. Go get an ice cream on me. Maybe a coffee card, maybe a, a gift card, a, a card of Starbucks or something like that. Um, some might want to send them in this instance, maybe a gift card to get some clothes or some clothes. If you knew somebody had a need and that may be a way that you could encourage them, maybe you do that. Others might send them a check. Others might send them a cash. You might text them and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm for you. If you ever need anything, let me know. And, and that's our way of encouraging them. We can think of many ways to try to encourage them to keep going, to not lose your fight. Don't faint in the day of adversity because I don't want your faith to be small. And, and, and we could think of a lot of things to do that. And, 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 and we could help them to keep going and just to let them know that somebody loves them and you're not alone in this. But it's interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews, whom I personally believe is Paul, many people don't, but in verse 33, God sends them not just some good news, but some great news. And the encouragement comes in a form that you and I would never be thinking of. These Christians are living a life and they're being persecuted for it. And, and they're Jews that are now believers. And because of that, not only are they being 
forsaken by their own heritage and the Jews, but they're being persecuted by the world and it's coming from all sides, just like the apostle Paul. And he says, listen, don't give up your confidence. And then he helps them. Look at verse 37. Here's the encouraging news. I want you to see, to keep going for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now to you and me, I don't know that we would receive that as encouragement. If you were either in prison or being persecuted or lost your job or lost your house or lost your family or lost the opportunities because of your faith, I just don't know if someone wrote me a letter and I was sitting somewhere in a pity party and someone said, hey, I just want you to know Jesus is coming again, that I would be like, oh, praise the Lord, I feel better now. That's just me. The Holy Spirit said, listen, I don't make mistakes. What I'm writing to you is meant to be encouraging. It's meant to help you. And if you're focusing on your life and if you're focusing on all the misunderstandings and mishaps and uh, uh, happenings in your life, maybe you need to look somewhere else. And he says, listen, I want you to know for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and he will not tarry. Someone's coming. Someone's coming to help you. Someone's coming to rescue you. I want us to consider in our notes this morning three legitimate questions surrounding this good news for discouraged people. Now, I, I don't want to ask how many of you are discouraged, have been discouraged, or you're planning on it tomorrow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to ask that question. But the reality is we've all been through that valley, haven't we, at one time or another? Maybe not to this point. Maybe not to this level. Maybe not to the level of, man, I've lost it all uh, or this has been so hurtful because of my faith. I've, you know, all of this kind of, maybe not to that level. But God says to these who've gone through such things, I want you to know that someone is coming and it's going to be a little while. So let's just answer the question. Number one, who is this one that's supposed to come? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come. Who is that? Well, we've looked in the last several weeks. It's the one who promised to come. Jesus said, look, in my house, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus promised to come. So we know that he that shall come is talking about the one who promised to come. It's also the one that the angels said would come, remember? In Acts chapter 1, it said, Why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? For this same Jesus who was caught up into the heaven shall so uh, come in like manner as you've seen him go. So they're, they're familiar with this. They know this mantra. It's also the one that the apostles and the prophets all wrote about coming. We know him a little different way because we weren't in the book of Acts. We weren't standing in the book of John when Jesus said, listen, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me, believe also in me. We know him as something a little different. This is the one letter A who died and rose again, the Bible says. First Thessalonians 4, 14. For if we believe that Jesus, notice, died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So it's the one that died and rose again. Let her be. It's the one who knows about persecution. And this is where it gets real for these believers. This is not someone who doesn't know me. This isn't someone who's not affected by my life. This isn't someone that's not acquainted by my sorrows and my griefs and my emotions. No, this is the one that knows all about what being persecuted is all about. 
The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.23, who when he was reviled. Now, I don't know about you, but when the Bible describes Jesus being reviled, he didn't revile not again. He reviled not again. Notice what it says. He, he, when he was threatened, when he suffered, he threatened not. So it talks about reviling. It talks about suffering. And instead of complaining, he accepted what was coming his way and he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now, that means that Jesus succumbed to the will of God that what I'm going through has been allowed. And I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for someone else. So the one that's coming, you're familiar with, and he is very familiar with you. He knows what it means to be persecuted. That's the one that shall come. Let her see the one who knows about your affliction. Hebrews 4.15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, uh, uh, like as we are yet without sin. So yes, does God know what it means to be persecuted? Yes, but he also knows what it means to suffer affliction. Remember that anything that you and I ever go through this side of heaven, Jesus has already been through at every level. He did it the right way. And so the Bible says in verse in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 that we can come to him. The next verse in verse 16 says, because we have this high priest that sits in the heaven that prays for us, he's not separated from us. He became us so that he could experience our life. So he's not looking at us from a distance and going, oh, I wonder what that's like. No, he knows. Now, now that makes a difference to these people. This is the one that shall come. It's the one that suffered. It's the one that was afflicted. It's the one that did this for us. And and by the way, when you're discouraged and you get your mind on someone else's problems that might be worse off, you feel a little bit better, don't you? Whatever you're going through, just find someone who's lost their teenage son and you'll feel a little bit, a little bit selfish about what you're going through. It's amazing. God says, listen, if I want to encourage you. So I, I want you to change your perspective. I don't want you to think about what you're going through. I want you to think about the one that went through everything for you. That's the one that's coming for you. And it says just a little while. You know, we're, when, uh, when we're waiting for someone, that's kind of some good news. In a little while. In a little while. In a little while. They're, they're almost here. They're almost here. And you're like, yes, they're almost here. It's coming. It's relieving to know that help is on the way. His return for his people is so paramount. Did you know that in 31,103 verses in the word of God that one out of three teaches it? I'm sorry, one out of 30. One out of 30 teaches the principle that Jesus is coming. In 216 chapters, there are 318 references to the Lord's return. There are whole chapters given to it. There are whole books that have been dedicated to the fact that Jesus is coming again. Who is this one that's supposed to come back? Let me say it again this morning, and I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is coming again, and that same Jesus cares about your struggles. He cares about what you're thinking about. He cares about what you carry. He cares about your burden. He cares about it all. He cares, and he wants to help you bear those burdens. You're never meant to to raise them and carry them by yourself. He wants to be your encouragement. He wants to shower you with his grace. He wants to greet you with his presence. Jesus Christ is the one who is coming for you if you have the spirit of God in you. Because he that hath not the spirit of God is none of his. 
God says to these believers, listen, I want you to know, yes, I know what you've gone through and God knows what you've gone through and God cares about it. And I want you to have some encouragement. You're not thinking about this, but guess what? He, the Bible says, for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. It's meant to encourage. Who's he that, who's the one that will come? Secondly, why has he not yet come is probably a more precise question, is it not? It does it not say in the Bible, yet a little while and will not tarry? Does it say that? That's absolutely what it says. Why does it say that? Let's face it, in our estimation of time, it's been more than a little while. Right? These Hebrew Christians never saw the, re- never saw the return of Christ. And I don't know if anyone was like, well, so much for the relief. Until the day they died. And then all things were made new again. When in fact, according to our own way of telling time, it's been 2,000 years. But make sure that you don't make the mistake of misinterpreting his waiting for his not coming. Make sure that you do that. In fact, his waiting reveals several things. Letter A, it reveals that many doubt his coming altogether. The Bible says in Second Peter 3, 3, knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Sadly, they're, they're not only lost people that have said, oh yeah, the return of Christ. Yeah, we've heard all about it. But you know, sadly, there have been many Christians who publicly proclaimed a date. He never came. A time when Jesus was coming to the chagrin of many saints and sinners in embarrassment. I, I, he's coming again. He's coming again. You can only say that so much before even Christians start to believe and live like he's not coming at all. Even more sadly, because of his waiting, Christians live like he would never come in their lifetime, so they live like they want to live. That's a mistake. It reveals that many are going to doubt his coming. Secondly, let's just talk about the reasons for his waiting. Let's just boil it down and say, okay, God, you told these Christians 2,000 years ago that in a little while you would come and you wouldn't tarry, but you haven't come. Why? That's a fair question. Listen, it's not wrong to ask God questions. It's really not. But it's wrong to assume that you always know the answer before God does. It's wrong. It's wrong to assume that God has to answer the question the way you perceive it should be answered. All right? Why haven't you come? The Bible tells us that in due time, does it not, Jesus Christ came into this world. It says that in Galatians. The first time, it was due time. It was right on time. And he's going to do the same thing again. When the Father tells him to come, He's going to catch us all away. So what does that tell us? Okay, so why is it such a big deal? Why, why has he not come? Hmm. Okay, aside from not knowing the mind of God, aside, uh, aside from knowing the fact that the time is only in the Father's hand and we don't know that time, let's just think of why he hasn't come. How about the fact that, first of all, the church isn't done doing what the church is supposed to do? Let's think about that. Acts fifteen fourteen through 16 says, Simeon hath declared, listen how carefully this Bible re- verse reads. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take, them, uh, to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written, after this I will return. See that? After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. Let's face it. As this earth continues to turn, the population of the world continues to grow, there's more work to be done concerning the souls of mankind. And God says, listen, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
so if it's okay with you, since I'm God, can I just hold off because I don't want these people to go to hell? The church isn't done. Secondly, God's long-suffering has not been exhausted yet. And by the way, we should all say, thank you, Lord, for being so long-suffering. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, and that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness? I do not believe that God is looking forward to the day when he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's not looking forward to the day when he's dividing those on his right hand and those on his left hand and looking every one of them in the eye on his left hand and saying to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. He is not looking forward to the day where he has to surrender himself to his justice over his love and over his mercy to condemn somebody because of their unbelief. The Bible says, how then shall they on the left call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they hear on him on whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except one be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and the and glad tidings of good things. The fact of the matter is God's long suffering is not done. The church is not done. It's not time because the father says it's not time. God's not looking forward to that day. We, in our mind, because we are finite, we, because we believe that vengeance belongs to us, think that God's just waiting for the day when he can slam that, ju- that hammer down and say, thus saith the Lord, you are going to hell because of your unbelief or because of whatever. And we're thinking, we think that way, but God doesn't think that way. Nowhere in the scriptures could they allot for the age of grace. Yes, I started my church in the foundation of the apostles. Me, myself, Jesus says, I'm the cornerstone. And yes, I breathe spirit of life and power into it in the book of Acts. And thousands upon thousands of people get saved. But they had no idea what was going to happen after that. How long is the long suffering of God? So long that he believes that you and I could tell some more people about Christ. So long that he says, listen, I didn't birth this church so we could have fellowship. I I birthed this church so it would go forward and march and snatch people from Satan and take them out of darkness and deliver them into the light. That's why I haven't come yet. Man, the encouraging thing is that, yes, Jesus is coming, but it's also encouraging that he hasn't come yet. Because more than likely, somebody in this room knows somebody who needs Jesus. And God knows that. Jesus is the one who's coming. Yeah, he hasn't come back, but he hasn't come back for all the right reasons. It's not time yet. And the question then becomes, am I okay with that time? Look, if that's truly the, the answer, then if God's giving me time, the other question is, what am I doing with that time? Oh, well, you know, I got to manage my 501. I got to manage this and manage that are you managing the gospel are you managing his grace look i'm here to encourage you that jesus is coming and he is coming and i'm encouraged by that but i'm also here to encourage you as the body of christ we've got to be serious about why he hasn't come yet thirdly and i'm done what do we do in the meantime i mean 
we know that we're supposed to witness, but what, what do we do in that time frame? How do, we, how do we manage that time frame? Look what it says in verse 37, for yet a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Notice verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. It, look, you can't take a verse out of its context. If the writer is trying to encourage these believers who've had it raw, and it says, the greatest thing that I can tell you is the Lord is coming back. And then he says, listen, until that time, here's the way you need to accept your afflictions and accept your burdens. You do it by faith. You trust that those afflictions and those burdens and, and even those things that happened that made you lose your confidence that God allowed. And it says in verse 35, cast not therefore away therefore your confidence, which hath great reward. And he couples that with the return of Christ. And he says, now listen, you've got one thing left to do. Live your life trusting the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge that fact in him, and he's going to direct your paths. Once again, Scripture is very clear on how we're going to be, how we're supposed to be waiting for the return of the Savior and how we should be living. Letter A, we're supposed to live our lives by faith, which means trusting. Do you understand that? If someone says, well, I have faith. No, no, faith doesn't save you. It's the object of faith that saves you. Faith does not change you. It's the object of faith that changes you. Faith does not support you. It's the object of faith that supports you. Do you guys understand that? So it's not just the just shall have faith. It's the just shall live by faith. And who is the faith on? On he that will, after a little while, come and not tarry. It's very clear. It points back to that. Listen. And it says, now if the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The God is not... God, yes, is God suffering if I do fail? Yes, but he's not looking forward to it. He doesn't want us to trust one day, draw back another day, trust the next day or trust in this trial, but not in all trials. Trust with this person, but not in all persons. Trust with this boss, but not in all bosses. No, it doesn't, it it qualifies everything. The just shall live by faith no matter what. No matter what the details, no matter what the circumstances, trust me, God says. Live our lives by faith, which means trusting, which means that I have to trust that he knows what he's doing. God, I don't know why you haven't come. I don't know why you've allowed society to be like it is. I don't know why you've allowed all this to go on and stretch on for longer and longer. I don't know why. I don't really care why, because I know you know why. And by the way, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. You know why? Because we like to control information. We like to control our lives. Even when we've given information, as we try to decipher it, you know what we should try to do? We should gather information and surrender it. Say, Lord, I don't even know how to make sense of all this, but I know that you've allowed it and you do. So I trust you. Today I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust you. You know what you're doing. We need to trust him. We need to trust that he knows what he's doing. We need to trust that he knows what is going on all around us. We need to trust him that we, we can trust that he put us here for such a time as this. Trusting that we are the ones he's chosen to reach the people for this time in this world. And look, let's face it. I'm 53 years old. People today are not the way they used to be. Let me quantify that. 
young people today are not the way they used to be. It's not. The 20-something today is not the 20-something when I was 20-something, and I wasn't all that in a bag of chips. But the 20-somethings that preceded me were better than me. And the 20-somethings that preceded me and the 20-somethings that, that fought in the great wars were far greater than me at 20-something. Do you see what I'm going? It's not getting better. It's getting worse. But I'm supposed to trust God with that? I'm supposed to trust God with the twisted society that we live in and the twisted forms of government and the twisted forms of word all over the world? I'm supposed to trust that? Yeah, because you know what God is? He is all-sovereign and all-knowing and all-powerful. He knows all things and he's not separated from his creation. And he, God didn't wake up this morning and go, I didn't think of that. I didn't know that was going to happen. I have no plan. I might as well just come back and take him home. No, that's not our God. Did you know the Bible says for those of us that desire to love him, that he works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose? I have to be able to trust that he's chosen me for this time. It means trusting him with all of our heart and try and not trying to trust our own understanding about everything. It means to find the will of God for your life and live in it no matter what that looks like. It means that it may mean to live our entire life without seeing his return, but living it by faith anyway. Look, the fact of the matter is, there are so many people, my dad has, my dad was born in 1938. He's going to be 82, 84 this year in November. He has always said, I believe the Lord's going to come before I die. And he's closer to death today than he's ever been. 84 years he's lived on this earth. He has waited for the Lord all of his adult life. He just wants to be there when that trumpet sounds, but he may not make it. Is he okay with that? He's probably not, <laughs> to be honest. But, but that's the facts. Why is he waiting? He said to me on the phone, uh, one of the last times I talked to him, I just don't know why the Lord's waiting. I don't know why the Lord's waiting. I sure wish he'd come. I sure wish he'd come. By the way, that's not a bad wish, if it's for the right reasons. John said, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. 2,000 years ago. It may mean to live our entire life without seeing his return and being okay with it. Living by faith anyway. We're supposed to live our lives by faith. Secondly, we're supposed to live our lives looking for his appearing. Looking for it. A tourist who visited a very exquisite garden in a lovely estate in Italy on vacation spoke to the caretaker of the land. And he said to the guy... Uh, how long have you been here? And he said, well, I've been here for 25 years. And the tourist asked the groundskeeper, he said, well, how often has the owner been here to see the estate? He said, in 25 years, he's been here about four times. And the guy said to him, well, that's very interesting. When did he come last? And he said, well, it was 12 years ago. He said, so he's come four times in 25 years and the last time was 25 years ago? He said, yeah. He said, well, who comes then to look after things? He goes, well, I'm, I'm pretty much left alone. And uh, the tourist said, yet you keep the garden so spick and span that one would think that you were expecting the owner tomorrow. And the landscaper said, no, today. Actually, I think he's going to come today. That's looking for, not looking at. That's great anticipation. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, 
1 Corinthians 1, 7, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and look for a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible talks about New Testament believers looking for and looking for and anticipating the fact that the caretaker of this world is going to come ransom it one day, and that's supposed to encourage us. A.B. Simpson said there are two ways of looking at the Lord's coming, and looking for it and looking at it. He said it is possible to look at it with keen intellect and profound interest, and yet have it mean nothing to us personally went on to say it is also possible to know but little of the theology of the subject at all and yet have a deep and a holy longing for the lord to appear he said may this theme be not only our study but also our personal hope for unto them that look for him shall appear a second time without sin unto salvation there's a huge difference what's the difference how it affects you yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it but i'm not looking forward for it I'm looking at it, but it's not affecting my life. If you're not saved today, here's the reality. If you're not saved, you're not a child of God. You're part of the reason why Jesus hasn't returned. Isn't that cool? That blows me away. If I am unsaved, one of the reasons that Christ hasn't returned to catch his bride away is me. Because I need to be saved. It is possible to look at it that way that Jesus would be so long-suffering? Are you backslidden? Are you away from God? Same answer. Aren't you thankful for that? If I'm not right with God fully, I'm so thankful that he's waited. Because if I'm backslidden, if I'm away from God and he comes, the, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, if not last week, that's when we're ashamed. Look, it's not going to be, okay, he's coming in 10 minutes, you better change your clothes. Hey, he's coming in 10 minutes. You better get all your ducks in a row. You better get to church. You better start tithing. You better start giving tracts out because he's coming. We're not going to have that time. Why? Because it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. The trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be caught away. That means physically taken by force. We're going to be gone. And at that moment, I'm going to say, Lord, thank you, or I'm not. Because I can be ashamed at his return. What a merciful and loving God that would wait for me to come to him and be saved. Or would wait to say, hey, I want you to come home. Like the prodigal father waits to look down the road to see if he's coming. He's waiting, he's waiting. Look, we don't have time to waste. We don't. Because we don't know when the owner is returning. And we are charged to be stewards of the gospel. What a merciful and loving God to wait for us to be saved or to come back. Are you hurting? Are you persecuted? Are you afflicted? The Lord is waiting because, uh, but, his, but he is coming and his hope is that we will live by faith. If you're hurting, he just wants you to learn at this moment, wherever you are, whatever your burden, to trust him. He wants you to utterly hand that over to him. He wants you to anticipate and look for him to come again, just like he said he would. He that shall come will come. Are you discouraged? 
then today when you leave, I want you to be of good cheer because the one who has overcome the world is coming for you. Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he ended it with this question, believest thou this? You see, what God tells us and what we believe or not affects our behavior. So when God says the just shall live by faith, he's talking about everything in the context that these believers have gone through. Now, I don't know what the context is in your life, but God does. And the answer is still the same. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, I want you to trust me. I want you to give everything to me. And I want you not to put your hand to it and look back. I want you to keep going. Let's bow for a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we want to say again, thank you so much for your word and for your promises. We thank you, God, for the one truth that we've looked at today, that you are coming again. And we want to say thank you for that. And though you haven't come yet, and it's been, at least in our estimation of time, more than just a little while, we know that you are coming again. We pray that would affect our lives. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder this morning if if there's something that you're going through that you need to surrender to the Lord. I wonder if, if there's a faith issue somewhere. Oh, it could be your job. It could be at home. It could be with your family members. I don't know. But God knows. And that's the whole point of this passage. Are you burdened today? You're hurting. You could be backslidden. There could be some sin that's separating between you and your God. And today's the day he says, listen, I'm waiting because I want you to get this right. I love you so much. I wonder today if you'd be willing to say, Pastor, nobody looking around, Pastor, the Lord spoke to me specifically today about an area in my life, and I want to do business with him at this moment. Would you pray for me as I do? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Anybody like that? Lord spoke to me personally today at a matter of my life. Would you pray for me right now? Anybody like that? Just slip it up. Anybody? I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. The Lord spoke to me about something in my life. Anybody else? Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you died right now, sadly, you're not 100% sure that you'd be in heaven. I wonder if today would be that day of salvation for you. You'd be willing to say, Pastor, I don't know that for sure, but I'd like to know. I want to know Christ as my Savior. I want to know that I'm on my way to 